face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. This nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident. Hello and welcome to episode 21 of the Policy Dialogue Series with alumni, staff, faculty, and students from the University of Maryland School of Public Policy. The views expressed do not represent official positions of the school or alumni network, but our goal is to discuss specific policy solutions that can address and solve the current local, national, and international challenges we face. We are recording this on April 12th, 2021, and my name is Evan Papp and I graduated with the class of 2011 with a focus on international security and economic policy. And I'm the executive producer of Empathy Media Lab, which publishes content on labor, political economy, arts, and culture. Joining me is fellow alum, Diva Shrestha, who graduated in 2014. Diva has over 10 years of education experience in the US and Nepal, and is currently a strategy consultant for the Ulins Education Foundation based in Nepal. Previously, she was a director of the Nepal Leadership Academy. Could you begin by talking about how you first got interested in public policy? Yeah, definitely. So I have a background in international studies. So in undergrad, that's what I studied. And um, I think for whatever reason, for the longest time, I wanted to be a diplomat in Nepal. Um, I think that was, or, or work at the UN, like those are some of the most prestigious job opportunities that you grow up looking up to, aside from being a doctor or an engineer or, or a lawyer, you know, so it's kind of very prescribed. Um, so I studied international studies in undergrad, uh, then got into higher education administration, but I never really let go of this dream of becoming a diplomat because I thought that was super cool. <laughs> it was like really awesome to do that. Um, but then the more I started looking into how you had to be, a, or what, what are the different things that you needed to do to be a diplomat in Nepal, because I'm a Nepali citizen, uh, I got a little disenchanted and discouraged by it. Um, but I still wanted to uh, make some impact and really make sure that um, you know whatever I was doing was bringing about a change in the community that I was a part of. Uh, and the more I looked into it, I got interested in working with the government. I think um, when you realize that the true impact happens at the policy level um, and does the implementation level after that, um, I decided to look into public policy as a possible graduate program. And that's how I got interest, interested into policy. So I, um, I applied, I got in, I studied, and then slowly I kind of then realized that the implementation was where my heart really was. So I kind of moved into the implementation side of things. However, policies um, as, an, as, a, as a subject area, policy as um, very important stance in uh, making a difference and making an impact in the communities that you're part of, local, you know, national government, even, even at organizational levels. Um, I truly believe that policies are like implementing good policies are the best way to go. So that's kind of like the roundabout answer to how I even got into, <laughs> interested into policy. Did you travel a lot before uh, coming to the US? No, so I had left the country once for like a high school trip to India before coming to the US. I came to the US for my undergraduate studies in 2005 at the age of 19. And that was my first time being very, very far away from family for a long period of time. 
And you're up in New York for undergrad, was it? Yeah, I was in Rochester, New York for, for majority of my time, yeah. And then what kind of policies were you most interested in when you were looking at the impact of policy? Um, so I've always been attracted towards the field of education. So within education, um, really looking at um, how education as a tool can bridge inequity, uh, inequality, and really be a tool for justice is kind of what I was um, really looking at, super interested in that. Um, so when I was working in admissions, so my professional background is in ad admissions, which is which is a world apart from policy technically, but, um, but higher education administration in the US really taught me to look at and understand the systemic challenges to um, providing opportunities to students to attend college. Uh, no matter where they're coming from, you know, primarily looking at the differences in the US education system at the high school level, you know, the public school versus the private school versus the, uh, the inherent systemic racism surrounding high school education to even looking at international high schools and, you know, how, how education really plays a big part in, um, in kind of like preparing the next generation of individuals and and understanding the socioeconomic and cultural as well as political backgrounds or history of the country and how that dictates the education policy of the country. Um, so within education, I've always been looking at it as a way to really provide that platform and opportunity for people to does, you know, bring about um, uh, you know, justice as an important aspect, but aside from that, as a way to really eradicate poverty, inequality, and inequity. Yeah. Very cool. And could you talk about your work in education in Nepal? Yeah, sure. So I, uh, as a director of uh, Nepal Leadership Academy, I uh, was responsible for uh, providing leadership and capacity development uh, trainings for individuals. And I, I leave individuals as individuals because we worked with people from all kinds of backgrounds. So rural, urban, high school students, college students, um, and up to even, uh, you know, one of the sessions we did was for um, the, the uh, secretary level individuals uh, at, the, at the government, right, at the ministries. Um, What's interesting is I was teaching and I was um, looking at mindset change and behaviors change as important tools to bringing about social changes. Um, so not necessarily within the field of education, but since I worked very closely with high schools and colleges, um, I was part of like dialogues around what kind of education policies needed to be implemented or how to update the current policies and things like that. And really being part of education systems here to understand that further. So. Um, I was working with, we, we had talked about doing teacher training, so worked with teachers. Um, we were really working with the students to really provide them what we called capacity development trainings, but what that also manifested into was teaching them skills to ask questions, critically analyze situations, and really not take, you know, anything that um, a teacher, and I put a teacher as a co in under quotation, as given and just like rote learning into passing examinations and uh, leveling up into their education, right? Um, so those things were really important and those insights 
it certainly gave me the tools to then talk about the changes in the education system that was necessary in order to make sure that the students were again um, being prepared for the next generation, which requires you to critically analyze things and question things, which is slightly different and new, still considered new in, uh, in, in our side of the world. And for someone who doesn't know what the education system and sector is like in Nepal, so obviously in the US, much of our primary and secondary education is funded by taxes. Um, is it more of a federalized system of education? No, so education here is very different than it is in the US. So we do have public education and um, generally it's said up to primary, so up to fifth grade education in public school system is free. And then in the public school system, the latter part of their education is also heavily subsidized. However, the public school system isn't the best. So um, families will put their Put their children through private schools and private schools here are for lack of better words i'm just gonna use it are like businesses so it's it's very much for profit it's it's uh, it's not like the private schools in outside of nepal also it's very much driven by that business mentality of making profit off of students um but the governing body is the Ministry of Education, so they will obviously teach the curriculum that the ministry uh, prescribes. But then, you know, uh, extracurricular activities and things are like are on the on the schools. So one of the ways the schools prove that they're better than other schools is either by bringing in curriculum that is international, so A-level curriculum, IB diplomas, like the Indian board, they're considered to be super competitive, so they bring that in, and that, again, adds to the profitability of the school, um, and then also extracurricular activities. So just giving you a general idea of how it works, it's a very capitalized system, capitalism system, I guess. Um, but it's not federal, like it's not, it's not run by taxpayers' money. It's very much a business uh, model. Thanks for that. And so getting back to what you were saying before about trying to teach kids to think and ask the right questions and, and almost have like the Socratic approach of, of not just what to think, but how to think. Uh, could you talk a little bit about your thoughts on how we can support leadership development in young adults? Yeah, yeah. Oh my God, I've been thinking about this for quite some time because I have been working with the students here in my capacity as admissions counselors or you know in whatever position I was in the U.S. Uh, universities working with the young people. It was always about mindset. It was always about like how are you going to develop that mindset and with that mindset comes the idea of empathy, kindness, resiliency, you know pushing through and all kinds of other qualities that are very much required whenever you're talking about making an impact and bringing about change, right? Um, and with that is what leadership is going to be defined. Um, so when I was teaching through Nepal Leadership Academy, our, our focus was on understanding leadership from the perspective of, again, like the soft skills, as we call them soft skills, um, effective communication, uh, empathy, understanding self, not just like others but very much reflection to understand self and through that understand others and connect with others but the human connection the human centric uh, approach that we had uh, was key to the leadership development of any individual um, so when we talk about um, you know what are some of the things that that 
that society can do to really support the leadership development of young people. Um, I think one of the ways, it's a very challenging question, to be honest, I think one of the ways is to really ensure that we're providing them the space and the platform to grow into becoming their own. Um, at least in this part of the world, um, it's very much, still the idea is very much, you know, uh, the, the family dictates kind of like the direction you want to head towards in your life. Um, you know, your, your examination score dictates the possible careers that you can go into. Um, you know, your parents still have a huge say in, in what you do, what you study. And if it's anything that is, uh, you know, in a way, like you're taking a risk by not studying medicine, for example, is is um, something that young people still have to fight um, to become their own. So I think one of the most important thing uh, is to give that space. I think the West does it fairly well. I think we're learning from that and we need to, but that requires that mindset change, right? For not just the young people, but also the people who are around them, who um, are our parents, who are the older generation, teachers, every person involved in that young person's life. Um, so creating that space for them also means that you have to create the space for yourself to change and really think about change from that perspective. Um, so I think that is one of the most important things that you can think about when you talk about leadership development, because it's not just like, let me teach you something so that you can become a leader, but it's like, it's a joint, it's a journey. It's, we, we gotta get on this together. You know, I as a mentor, I as a parent, I as a teacher, as I work with a young person and for the young person to say as I as a young person as I work with my um, I guess elders in the in the room I'm generalizing elders obviously I think it's really important for the for the two to go hand in hand um, that's like absolutely essential because it's a process it's it's never ending just because I teach you something doesn't mean you know everything and I know everything um, so I think that's very important to keep in mind that it's a journey and there seems to be a somewhat of a tension where in some ways, a lot of schools are teaching to tests and almost this rote memorization to become workers. And there, there is this whole history of education of how you can generate, you know, workers who follow rules and maybe not necessarily question authority and those type of things. At the same time, we have this social media, um, pressure for everyone to kind of like conform and, and really um, change their own internal orientation based on what they're getting from the social media and trying to instill a, a gyroscope inside of people so that they know which way is up and down instead of just following the which way the winds are blowing. Uh, that That is like almost an inherent tension, even where there's not a money-making outcome that is you know, directly uh, attributable to it. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're moving so fast as a society, social media, everything, the technology, uh, or, or I should say the tech, technological development in Nepal is only about 10 years old. It's not like we've, I remember when I came back 10 years ago and we didn't have internet, you know, and I, I was applying to college about 20 years ago and we didn't have, we just had internet. And I think that was like the, one of the first few years that Common App was just becoming online, um, you know, so, so we've, we've had to adapt very quickly. Um, especially here in this part of the world, like so quickly that we don't really know 
how to adapt. And adaptation has been taken the form of understanding a social media uh, platform and not necessarily, again, questioning or analyzing or critically thinking about what is being presented out there and then how to really deal with that. So you wrote that, quote, Believe, uh, that you believe that change is only effective if citizens from different generations, genders, socioeconomic and cultural backgrounds co-define the country's evolving perspectives. Could you elaborate on that? Yeah, I think I think that kind of goes to what I was talking about earlier when we we're talking about leadership development, what society can do uh, to support each other is we really have to work together as a society. I think now I can't, I don't, I mean, I'd like to look up Webster definition of what society is, but I think we've forgotten what the definition of society really is and what its, what its intentions were, right, as a society and a community. Um, so, so there's, as you talked about the friction as well, there always is going to be this friction between the old and the new, between um, the young and the old, between, um, you know, anything innovative coming out versus something that you're so used to and has become become kind of big part of your life. Um, anytime that happens, there is going to be friction. And the only way that we can come together and really define this, uh, define the path of the country is if you align at some level. And that's, that's kind of what I mean. Like we have to come together as a team, right? To say, this is, this is what we want our society to become, or this is what we want our country to become. Um, it's, it's not happening obviously, because, you know, the agendas of the different individuals and different groups are so different. But, but I feel like if we try hard enough, we can come to um, some commonality that we can agree on. And more times than not, those commonalities usually come to be the human aspect of things when, it's, when we're talking about kindness and empathy and the importance of understanding and listening and really making people feel like they're people and not just, you know, numbers or names or nothing or um you know casts or whatever uh that's a big aspect of that too um so that's kind of what i mean is like unless we don't come together as a team um from all different facets of life aspects of life um we're not only we're not going to be able to bring in the type of change that we need to make sure that the earth remains. I think, I think that's a good way to say it. it's like we've seen a lot over the last year to just think about what is possible, what can happen, things that we've obviously not prepared for. Um, and the only way we can we can really combat all of that is if we come together. Yeah, and I, I feel that there's always this competition or and that there's the zero sum game competition where a lot of people and, and everything's oriented your gain is my loss and my gain is your loss versus a harmony of interests where your gain is my gain and we can, your prosperity will increase my prosperity and everyone else's prosperity. And by working together and harmonizing these self-interests, we grow all more profitable and, and uh, full of wealth and learning and, and love and those type of things. So really right. appreciate everything you're doing in the education sector. So in closing, as we look forward to the rest of 2021 and beyond, where do you see opportunity and hope? 
Ah, where do I see, where do I see opportunity and hope? Well, I I truly think that I'm an educator at heart. So I think really looking at education as a way to uh, bring these agenda into the minds of the young people, um, as well as the teachers. I, I I think the teachers get very little credit for all the amazing things that they do, um, and they are you know they've got they've got to teach their, their day-to-day stuff going on you know so they they've got their hands full and if we've seen that this year we've seen that <laughs> they definitely are amazing human beings so if if there's anything that we can do is really invest more in the teachers and the students and the school systems um, I'm not even talking about curriculum and redesigning the curriculum, but I think if we put more human resources into education, I think that's that's where we're going to slowly see the hope. I think it's been very relevant this past year, the experiences that we've had this past year, how, how underfunded and under-resourced our schools are, our teachers are, and the inequality that we see between the people who are making real difference in people's lives every single day versus versus, you know, businesses and um, other individuals following capitalistic opportunities, um, I think I think it's time to go down to the basics and really start focusing on the people that matter the most. And for me, um, that's in education, that's teachers, that's our students, because without without any of that, I mean, we can look into our experiences. We've, we always have had at least one teacher who's made an Im- tremendous impact into who we've become. Um, we can't say that of, you know, all these super fun and amazing innovative startups. I'm not saying they're not important. I'm saying they're important, but I think it's time to kind of like take a little bit away from that and then put it into education a little bit so that we can create even better individuals who are going to then continue to innovate the right way, I think.